Our topic for tonight is an amazing one, the Antichrist cover-up, part one. This is actually the first of a continuing series as we unmask, uncover the mysterious Antichrist. History is filled with the record of countless cover-ups and conspiracies and scandals. Seems like there's always some new political scandal. And people these days often feel like saying, who can you trust anyway? Who's telling you the truth? Can you even know the truth at all? Yes, you can, son. Jesus said, mark it in your notes tonight if you're taking notes, John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Where do we find the truth, son? We find it in the Word of God. If you want the truth, open the Bible. The Bible reveals to us that the devil is the greatest conspirator of all times. His one object is to hide and cover up the truth. And that leads us to the question, is there a cover-up concerning the Antichrist? Since the Antichrist plays such a prominent role at end time, we could expect the devil to introduce some sort of a cover-up relating to this topic of the Antichrist. And we're going to see that tonight. God actually warns the world about the Antichrist. You can read that warning in the Bible. We're going to read from Revelation 14, 6 through 10. Here we find three messages God sends the world to prepare the world for end time. And the third message carries the warning about the Antichrist, the Antichrist beast. Let's read these three warnings. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 is the first one, which says, John says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people... What's the message? Reading on verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And what's the word? Worship. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now let's go on to the second angel's message, verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then the third message is the one that warns us about the beast that has the mark. Revelation 14, 9 and 10 says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man, what's the word? Worship, Worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Pretty serious warning here. We notice right away that the issue is worship. This is the central issue of these messages. First angel tells us, worship the Creator God, while the third angel warns us, do not worship the beast. Worship well, that's sort of a sensitive issue. Some of the bloodiest battles in history have been fought over the issue of worship. And we know that God has made the issue of the Antichrist beast very plain in the Bible. The Bible says, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark. That's the mark of the beast. I don't know if you've heard about it. 
And since God has made such a solemn warning about the beast, we can know that God has made the issues very clear in the Bible. And you will be amazed at all the clues that we discover concerning the identity of the Antichrist. God is not going to tell the world, if you worship the beast, you receive his mark, I'm going to pour out my wrath on you. The wrath of God, that's the plagues. And then we say, well, God, who is this Antichrist? God says, sorry, I won't tell you. you got to figure that out. Since this is such a solemn warning, we can know that God must have made the issue very clear in the Bible. And we're going to see tonight how clear he has made it. Revelation 13, verse 8 says, and how many? All. all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Since almost the whole world is going to worship this Antichrist, then we need to know tonight who is it? Who is the Antichrist? Well, some time ago, Newsweek magazine had an interesting article. It was entitled, The Ultimate Deceiver, said the Antichrist is Satan's secret accomplice, a powerful human being who takes control of the world before the second coming. At different times, the Pope, Napoleon, Hitler, and Gorbachev have all been called the Antichrist. Was that very helpful, Father? <laughs> that didn't help us at all. We still don't know who it is. Who is the Antichrist? Some time ago, I went to the Internet to find the answer to who the Antichrist is. You can find the answer to anything on the Internet. And, son, I found out who the Antichrist is. It's none other than Prince Charles of Wales, according to Tim Cohen in his book, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. The Bible says all the world will worship him. You can't get everybody to worship Prince Charles. The world loved his former wife, Lady Diana. But Prince Charles, who would worship that? How many of you think that Prince Charles is the Antichrist? Let me see your hands. Of course not. Well, if you don't think that he is the Antichrist, there's another option, and that is Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft Corporation. And he maybe even looks like the Antichrist if you dress him up like one. Yeah. But we know that the whole world is definitely not going to worship Bill Gates. Well, if you don't think he's the Antichrist, then the Internet has another option of who it is. This is Newsweek magazine. Is Barack, the, Barack Obama the Antichrist? Did you know in 2013, one out of every four Americans thinks that Obama's the Antichrist? The Bible says all the world will worship him. You can't even get Americans to worship Barack Obama. So obviously he's not the Antichrist either. Well, there is a flood of speculation regarding the identity of the Antichrist. There are books, movies, articles about the Antichrist, but we still don't know who really is the Antichrist. Who is it? We're not going to the Internet for the answer. We're not going to Christian fiction for the answer. Where shall we go for the answer? We're going to go to the Word of God to answer the question, who is the Antichrist? Tonight, we are going to study the Antichrist cover-up. This is the secret information that's not being shared with us by the prophecy teachers, the facts concerning the identity of the Antichrist, the amazing facts. Let's first look at the term Antichrist. The word Antichrist is only found in about four places in the Bible. All of them are in 1 John, except for one. Let's look at it. And you have them listed in your handout, all four of them. We're going to look at one. 
1 John 2, verses 18 and 19. It's in your handout, those of you that are registered. The Bible says, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that, who? Antichrist shall come, and even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. From this text, we learn, first of all, that even now, back in John's day, he could see antichrist developing. And is antichrist only one? The Bible says that there are many antichrists. These are the facts that we're not being told by the prophecy teachers. And then verse 19 says, they, that's the antichrist, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Evidently, the Antichrist then comes from within the Christian church because John says they, the Antichrist, they went out from us. Well, let's review the amazing facts about the Antichrist. First of all, there are many Antichrists, not just one evil man. Number two, they come from inside the church. And number three, these many antichrists are here now. You have all that, I believe, in your handout. There are symbols of the antichrist as well. We have the actual term antichrist in the Bible. But then there are a variety of symbols of the antichrist. And it's from the symbols that we really learn the most about the antichrist. One of the symbols is the man of sin, the son of perdition. Paul talks about him. And some people take this term, man of sin, and they think that the Antichrist will be only be one man at end time. But John told us that the, there would be how many? Many Antichrists. There would be many Antichrists, so not just one evil man at end time. Let's read what Paul says here. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. That's the day when Christ comes back. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the, the who? Son of perdition. The son of perdition. The term son of perdition is used only two times in the Bible. Once here by Paul to symbolize the Antichrist. And who else's son is referred to as the son of perdition? Judas. And who was Judas? Judas was an insider. Judas was one of Jesus' own disciples. A professed follower of Jesus. You can read that in John 17, verse 12. Jesus called Judas what? The son of perdition. So evidently then... Evidently, instead of being an openly or an obviously evil, openly anti-Christian person who will rise from outside of the church, the real Antichrist will be Judas-like. Can you begin to see the cover-up? Most people are looking for the Antichrist being some evil man that's against Christians, anti-Christian. Well, Judas was an insider professedly following Jesus. So apparently the Antichrist is going to be a professed follower of Christ. That's a good clue for us. There are other symbols of the Antichrist in the Bible. 
One of them is the beast of Revelation 13. Virtually all Bible scholars believe that the beast of Revelation 13 is another symbol of the Antichrist. Is there one in the Old Testament? There is. The other symbol for the Antichrist is the little horn of Daniel 7. Virtually all Bible scholars, again, believe the little horn of Daniel 7 is another symbol of the Antichrist. And it's from these symbols, Revelation and Daniel, that we learn the most concerning the identity of who this Antichrist really is. So let's go look at the beast, Revelation 13. We know this is a symbol of the Antichrist because God warns us about this beast. This is the beast with the mark and the number. Revelation 14, 9 and 10, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. So we know this beast is a symbol of the Antichrist because he has the mark and he has the number, which of course is 666. Revelation 13, verse 18. Let's go look at this beast. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 3. You can mark that. I don't know, don't know, I don't know if it's in your handout, but if not, put it in your handout. Revelation 13, 1 through 3. The Bible says... Revelation 13, 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw, that I saw, was like unto a, a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, bear and his mouth is the mouth of a lion, lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Here is one artist's painting of what that beast might have looked like. Here's another painting of what that beast may have looked like. Let me just ask you here, how many of you have seen this particular animal down at the Manila Zoo? No, you know, that's, there's no such animal. We know this has to be a symbol of something. And what does it symbolize? Well, let me back up and mention, we live in a world of symbols, don't we? We're familiar with symbols. For example, what's that a symbol of? That's a symbol of the taxi, right? <laughs> the Toyota Motor Company. How about that? What is that a symbol of? Oh, bad health. That's a symbol of junk food. M, medical emergency. I don't know. <laughs> McDonald's. So we're familiar with symbols. We see them all over our world. And God uses symbols here in Bible prophecy. This beast, son... What does it symbolize? How can we unlock these Bible symbols? Well, we're not going to guess or speculate. We're going to use our two clues, our two ways, our two keys to understand prophecy. Number one, the Bible must be its own interpreter. And number two, we must compare Scripture with Scripture to understand the Scriptures. So following those two principles... Let's find out who this beast represents. First of all, the beast comes up out of the sea or out of water. What does water represent in prophecy, son? Well, let's look at Revelation 17, 15. We're letting the Bible explain its own symbols. Revelation 17, verse 15 tells us, And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. 
So now we know what the water symbolizes. What's it symbolize? Peoples, nations, languages, or a populated area where there are different languages, different nations. Did we create that interpretation? No, we're letting the Bible explain its own symbols. Revelation 13, 1 to 3. Let's go there and let's begin to mark down identifying facts about the Antichrist. Fact number one. First of all, the beast comes up out of what? Water. What's water represent? So fact number one, it comes up out of the sea or out of a populated area of the world. Number two, these are our descriptive features, and you should have them all in your handout. Number two, it's made up of at least three other beasts. Verse two, Revelation 13, two, and the beast which I saw was like unto a... Leopard. There's our leopard. And his feet were as the feet of a... Bear. Bear, there's our bear. And his mouth is the mouth of a... Lion. Lion, there's our lion. And the... Dragon. Dragon, there's our dragon, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So this beast is made up of at least three other beasts. That's an interesting description there. Number two. Let's go on now to number three. It gets its seat and authority from a fourth beast, the dragon. That was from verse two. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Then our fourth descriptive feature, he received a deadly wound which heals. Verse 3 says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. So our fourth descriptive feature you have. Go on now to number five. Number five, he has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Verse 5 says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Our sixth descriptive feature, he has power to rule 42 months. That's from verse 5 also, the last part of the verse. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and 2 months. 42 months is how long? Uh, we'll come back to that later. Number seven, he wars against the saints. That's from verse 7. Revelation 13, 7 says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Our eighth descriptive feature, he has worldwide authority. That's also from verse 7. Revelation 13, 7, Power is given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Number nine, all the world would worship him. That comes from verse 8, where the Bible tells us, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So there's a small group that's not going to worship him, those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want my name in the Lamb's book of life, don't you? Only those whose names are in that book are not going to receive the mark of the beast and follow the beast. Everybody else apparently is going to follow this beast. There are the nine descriptive features, and you have them all in your handout. But the question, son, who or what is this Antichrist beast? Well, you see, Father, before we can answer that, we need to answer the question, in Bible prophecy, what does a beast symbolize? Well, let's find out in Daniel 7. To answer that, we need to leave Revelation and go to another prophetic book, the book of? Daniel. Daniel and Revelation are two twins. 
Each contains the keys to unlock the other symbols. You can't understand Revelation if you don't understand Daniel. And you can't understand Daniel if you don't understand Revelation. So we're going to leave Revelation and go back to Daniel. Daniel 7. I don't know if it's in your handout, but if not, mark it down. Daniel 7, verses 2 and 3. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And then it says, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Do we already know a little bit of the picture? These beasts come up out of the sea. What sea? Here we have our diagram of the Bible symbols. Seas represents peoples. Revelation 17, 15. And wind represents war. Jeremiah 49, 36, and 7. So do you have the picture? As the winds of war blow on populated areas of the world, great beasts come up out of those areas. What's a beast represent? Beast represents a kingdom, Daniel 7, 17. Since we're here, let's read it. Daniel 7, verse 17 says, These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. To be a king, you have to have what? You have to have a kingdom. So these would be four great kingdoms that would rule. A beast represents a kingdom. Do we have another text to affirm that, son? We do. Five verses down, Daniel 7, 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? Kingdom. Kingdom upon the earth. So, son, in Bible prophecy, a beast represents what? Kingdom. Did we make that up? Did we create that interpretation? No, we're letting the Bible be its own interpreter. Daniel saw four great beasts, or in other words, four great kingdoms or empires. Just as that is a symbol of the Toyota Motor, Motor Company. So now you know, in prophecy, a beast represents kingdom. a kingdom or a nation. Even today, we sometimes use animals to represent kingdoms, like the American eagle or the Russian bear. What's the animal here in the Philippines? The water buffalo. When I was in Thailand, they told me it was the elephant. So we use animals to symbolize kingdoms. God did it a long time ago in Bible prophecy. We know then that that this beast of Revelation 13, the Antichrist beast, has to be a kingdom. A kingdom. Now, no doubt the man of sin is going to be at the head of the kingdom, sort of like a, a, a dictator or whatever. But we know the Antichrist is not just a man. It's a kingdom because the beast represents a kingdom. a kingdom. Now, just to make you feel comfortable tonight, it's not the Philippines, this beast. <laughs> we're going to find out who it is. Well, we're going to start putting the clues together about who it is. In Daniel chapter 2, we saw a metallic man, and we're going to see a parallel here in Daniel 7. Several times in the book of Daniel, we find that God identifies these four universal empires of the past. First in Daniel 2, then again in Daniel 7, then in Daniel 8 and 9, then in Daniel 11, and each time God adds more information. And we'll see that here in our study of Daniel 7. Just like in Daniel 2, the metallic image, four empires. 
So in Daniel 7, four beasts, four great kingdoms. Let's look at these four. Let's begin with the first one, Daniel 7, verse 4. We're reading from Daniel 7, verse 4, where the Bible says, The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So the first beast was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. Who knows what was that first kingdom? Well, that was, of course, Babylon. And even today, you can see on the ruins of Babylon, the winged lion, which is a symbol of Babylon. We know that the metallic image in Daniel 2, the head of gold, symbolized Babylon. And in Daniel 7, the lion with eagle's wings symbolized Babylon. What might the wings symbolize? Well, if you'd like a text, put in your notes Habakkuk 2. Where is it? Habakkuk 1, rather, verses 6 through 8. Wings represent speed of conquest. So Babylon very quickly conquered the ancient world. Gold, the most precious metal. The lion, the king of beasts. The eagle, the king of birds. This was the first empire. And Babylon ruled from 605 to 539 B.C., about 66 years. Counting down. Let's now read the next verse. Daniel 7, verse 5 says, And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. This is the second beast, or the second kingdom. Who can tell me? What was that second kingdom that ruled the world back then? That was Medo-Persia. So the bear then is a symbol of Medo-Persia. Don't let anybody try to convince you that the bear of Daniel 7 is a symbol of Russia. Was Russia the second empire to rule the world? No. We know from history that was Medo-Persia. <clears throat> In the Bible, <laughs> excuse me. The Bible says this bear is raised up on one side. What's that mean? That symbolizes, no doubt, that the Persians became stronger than the Medes in this united kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom. We know that from history. And this bear has in his mouth three ribs. Those three ribs, no doubt, represent the three provinces that Medo-Persia conquered from Babylon. Those three provinces were Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. When Medo-Persia conquered Babylon, essentially it conquered everything, took away everything from Babylon, the three provinces of Babylon. So the kingdom of Medo-Persia was symbolized by the silver and the metallic image of Daniel 2 and by the bear in Daniel 7. Medo-Persia ruled from 539 to 331 B.C. And we're going to be good teachers tonight. We're not going to require you to remember all these dates. Not yet. <laughs> Let's go on now to the third beast, Daniel 7, verse 6. After this, Daniel says, I beheld and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, of a bird. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So here we see the third beast, which is like a leopard with four heads and four wings. Who knows what was that third kingdom? That was Greece. Greece under the leadership of Alexander the Great. 
And the Bible says he had four wings. If wings symbolize speed of conquest, and Babylon had two wings, Medo-Persia has, or Greece has four wings, so it must symbolize great speed of conquest. Here is what history tells us. Alexander was one of the greatest generals of all time, noted for his brilliance as a tactician and troop leader, and for the rapidity with which he could traverse great expanses of territory. In just 11 years, history tells us, Alexander and his troops marched over more than 35,000 kilometers. They reached all the way over to India. This is before they had transport, before they had trains and automobiles. All of this was by foot, largely, with some horses. And the Bible also says that this leopard had four heads. What do the four heads represent? Well, Alexander the Great conquered the world, but could he conquer himself? What happened to him? No, he died of a fever induced by overdose of alcohol. And And as he was dying... As he was dying, they asked him, who will rule in your place? And he said, the strongest. So they fought it out, and they carved up the Grecian Empire into four parts. That's no doubt why the Bible symbolizes this beast as having four heads, representing the four divisions of the the Greek Empire under Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. And here you can see a map of those four divisions of the Grecian Empire. Greece was symbolized by the midsection of bronze in the metallic image of a man in Daniel 2 and by the leopard with four heads and four wings in Daniel 7. Greece ruled from 331 to 168 B.C. Here we are coming right down through time. Let's now look at the fourth beast, the ugly one. Daniel 7 verse 7 says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, Dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse or different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had how many? Ten horns. Ten horns. This is the fourth beast, and it's got iron teeth. The fourth beast or the fourth what? The fourth kingdom, the angel told Daniel, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. Who can tell us, what was that fourth universal kingdom? That was Rome, the iron monarchy, just as iron symbolized Rome in the metallic image, the iron legs. So Rome was symbolized by the dragon-like beast in Daniel 7 that had iron teeth. Rome ruled... From 168 B.C. down to A.D. 476. And here we do want you to remember a date. 476 A.D. was when Rome had fallen. Can you remember one date? I know some of you haven't been in school for a long time, but I think you can remember one date. Rome had fallen by, what was the date? 476. Oh, I'm going to make it hard for you. When did Rome fall? All right, you hang that in memory's hall somewhere. Write it down. Remember that. I'm going to quiz you on that later. When did Rome fall? 476 A.D. Remember that. 
So we have these four great beasts representing four great kingdoms or nations. Now you know what those four beasts on the flyer that you got symbolize, right? You've seen the beasts there on all these uh, tarps throughout Isotan Mall. The lion with the wings represents? Babylon. How about the bear raised up on one side? Medo-Persia. How about the leopard with four heads and four wings? Peace. And how hey. about the dragon? With ten horns. Now when you see that picture, you understand. Because we've given you the Bible clues, the Bible keys. And what's amazing, God outlined this all centuries in advance. The fourth beast, Rome, this beast has how many horns? Ten. It has ten horns on it. What do the ten horns symbolize? Well, we're not going to guess or speculate. The Bible tells us, Daniel 7, verse 24, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. Of course, to be a king, you have to have a kingdom. So these ten horns represent ten kingdoms that would arise from Rome. Of course, we saw in Daniel 2 the ten toes in the metallic image of a man and the ten horns. Those are parallel. Here's a map of those original ten kingdoms that came out of the Roman Empire. We still have seven of them with us in Europe today. The Alamanni are the Germans, Burgundians are the Swiss, Franks are the French, Lombards are the Italians, Saxons are the English, the Suevi are the Portuguese, and the Visigoths are the Spanish. Three became extinct, the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. What happened to those three, Father? Well, let's read the answer from the Bible, Daniel 7, verse 8. Here we are continuing the story in Daniel 7. Daniel 7, verse 8 says, I considered the horns. So Daniel says, I'm looking at the horns. Where were the horns? The ten horns? They were Western Europe. That was the ancient Roman Empire. So he's looking at what area of the world? Western Europe, because that's where the ten were located. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little, little horn or little kingdom before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So here, Daniel says he sees a little horn coming up. And when this little horn comes up, three other horns, three other kingdoms are uprooted. We know those three are the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths, who... Or what does the little horn symbolize? Son, we're going to learn something amazing tonight. The little horn of Daniel 7 actually turns out to be the same as the beast of Revelation 13. Both symbolize the Antichrist. One symbol in the New Testament, the other in the Old Testament. And the little horn of Daniel 7 actually gives us more clues concerning the Antichrist than any other symbol in the Bible. So who is the little horn? Well, God does not name this horn for us, but he gives us enough clues that we can easily identify who the little horn is. And we find those clues here in Daniel 7. Let's start putting down the clues. I think they're already listed in your handout. The first clue comes from verse 8. Daniel 7, verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. So our first clue, the little horn symbol of the Antichrist, 
comes up among them or among the ten. Where were the ten? Western Europe. Western Europe. So now we know where the Antichrist comes from. Somebody once wrote in a question. Will the Antichrist come from Syria or some other Middle Eastern nation? Now you know the answer. The little horn, symbol of the Antichrist, doesn't come up over in the Middle East. It comes up somewhere in Western Europe. That's our first clue. Let's get another clue now from verse 24. Ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise when? After them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kingdoms. So it would arise after them. After the what? The ten. After the ten. When did Rome fall? What was that date? That was 476. So clue number two, it could not arise until after 476 because Rome did not fall and was not divided until that date. Note, it is only as we look to the past that we can correctly identify the true Antichrist and discover who he is and his role at end time. You have a lot of people today looking way off into the future for the Antichrist, but the Bible reveals to us the past. We are to look to the past. Can you begin to see the cover-up? People looking off into the future. John saw the Antichrist developing back in his day. Paul saw it developing in his day. So we have to look to the past to correctly identify the Antichrist and understand his role at end time. Let's get a next clue. Verse 8. Back to verse 8. says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another Little horn. So our third clue, this would be a little horn or a little kingdom. Not a big kingdom like Portugal or Spain or France or Switzerland or anything like that, but a little tiny kingdom. That's number three. Let's get another clue now, also from verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. So number four, clue number four, this horn, this kingdom uproots three other kingdoms. Those kingdoms were the hairy lie, vandals, and ostrogoths. Our next clue is from verse eight as well. It says, and behold, in this horn, this little horn, were eyes like the eyes of who? Like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So our fifth clue, it's on your handout. This little horn would have a human leader because it has eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking for it. A human leader who speaks for it, our fifth clue. Another clue comes from Daniel 7, verse 24. It says, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first and shall subdue three kings. So this would be diverse or different. That's our sixth clue. Different from all the other kingdoms there in Western Europe. Our next clue is from verse 25, Daniel 7, 25. He, that's a little horn, symbol of the Antichrist, he shall speak great words against the Most High or against God. Revelation says the beast speaks great things and blasphemies. 
great words against God, that would be blasphemy. So we're going to put as our seventh clue, the little horn, symbol of the Antichrist, blasphemes God. Son, can you give us a definition for blasphemy? What is blasphemy? Well, there's a number of definitions of blasphemy, but we're going to look at one tonight. This comes from John 10, verses 30 to 33. The Bible says here in John 10, 30 to 33, here Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have showed you from my Father, For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. So blasphemy, according to the Bible, is when a man claims to be God, which was not blasphemy for Jesus. He was God. He is God. But if any man claims to be God... That would be blasphemy according to the Bible. There's a definition, a biblical definition. And we learn from Paul, from 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, speaking of this man of sin, symbol of the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Of course, that would be blasphemy. Claim to be God. So number seven, this little horn blasphemes God. Let's get another clue from Daniel 7, 25. 25 and 21. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Verse 21. I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So our eighth identifying marker of this little horn is that it would be a persecuting power. We'll put that down for number eight, persecuting. Let's move on now to our ninth clue, verse 25, Daniel 7, 25. And he, that's a little horn, shall speak great words against the Most High. We looked at that. Shall wear out the saints of the Most High. We looked at that. And think to change times and laws. So number nine, he changes laws. Paul says that this man of sin was the mystery of lawlessness. He's against law. He changed or thinks to change law. God's law, man's law, changes laws. Let's get another clue now from Daniel 7.25. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. How long is that, son? Well, to answer that, we need to leave Daniel for just a little bit and go to the twin book of Daniel, Revelation. Revelation 12.14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. How long is that? Well, let's go back to verse 6 to find out. Daniel, uh, Revelation 12, verse 6. Revelation 12, verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there. How long? A thousand two hundred and three score days. So evidently a time, times, and the dividing of time or half a time would be a thousand two hundred and three score days. How do we arrive at that? Well, apparently a time, that would represent one year. Times, that would be two years. Half a time, that would be half a year. 
One plus two plus a half is three and a half years. And if we use the Bible formula of 30 days for each month, you would arrive at 1260 days. But we need one more key to understand this. We're studying prophecy, right? And we learned that in prophecy, a day represents a year. We got that from Ezekiel 4.6. God says, I have appointed thee each day for a year. Numbers 14.37, each day for a year. Genesis 29.27, day for a year. So in prophecy, one prophetic day equals one literal year. We have three and a half prophetic years. That would be 1,260 prophetic days or... 1260 literal years. literal years day for a year so number our next point our next clue time times and the dividing of times number 10 he would have to rule for 1260 years of course we recognize right away we have to look to the past for the fulfillment of this we're not going to have 1260 years sometime in the future when the antichrist will reign now, there's not that much time left on planet Earth. You have to look to the past. And why not? Paul saw the Antichrist developing in his day. John saw it developing in his day. So we look to the past then, that 1,260 years. There are the ten clues about the little horn. You have them in your handout. Number one, among the ten. Number two, after AD 476. Three, a little horn, little kingdom. Four, uproots three. Five, human leader. Six, it's diverse or different. Seven, blasphemy. Eight, it's a persecuting power. Nine, changes laws. And ten, it rules for 1,260 years. Here's what's amazing. The little horn of Daniel 7 has very similar characteristics of the beast of Revelation 13. Many of these that, that on the ten, our list of ten, fit the beast also. For example, number one. The little horn comes up among the ten, a populated area. The beast comes up out of the sea, a populated area. The little horn is a kingdom, and a beast symbolizes a kingdom. The little horn is diverse or different from all the others, and the beast of Revelation 13 is different from any beast you ever saw. The little horn blasphemes God, so does the beast. Revelation 13, 5. The little horn persecutes the saints, and so does the beast of Revelation 13. And seven. the little horn rules 1,260 years, and the beast rules 42 months, which is the same as 1,260 years. So the little horn and the beast both symbolize the same system. Both symbolize the Antichrist. Well, we, let's review the amazing facts about the Antichrist tonight. Fact number one, there are... Many. Antichrist. Number two, they come from... Inside. The church. Number three, these many Antichrists are... Here now. And lastly, the Antichrist beast is a... A kingdom. kingdom. There's the big clue. Now... Well, we still haven't answered the question... Who really is the Antichrist? Well, we don't have time tonight. So you'll have to come back later and we'll, we'll unmask who the Antichrist is in a future lecture. Remember we told you when we started this was part one as we uncover the Antichrist to be continued. I know we kind of left you hanging tonight. Some of you are wondering, who is it? 
Some of you, maybe you think you already know who it is. And some of you, as you review your handout, you might be able to figure out who it is. But before we identify it, there is another clue. The big clue, which we don't have time for tonight. Which we will look at when we come back to part two of the Antichrist in the future. But here's the point we want you to remember. The real issue relating to the Antichrist is the issue of worship. The first angel says, worship God the creator. And the third angel says, do not worship the beast. And the question for us is, who will you worship? Will, you, will it be Jesus Christ or Antichrist? I choose to worship Jesus Christ. How about you? Joshua 24, verse 15, Bible says, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is it your choice tonight? You want to serve Jesus Christ, not Antichrist. If that's your decision, let me see your hands. There is hope for you. Prophecy shows the future in advance. There is hope for you who understand the symbols at a glance. There is hope for you. Events don't just happen as if by chance. There is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you. Antichrist will the world deceive. There is hope for you who on the word of God believe. There is hope for you. Worship God and he alone receive. So there is hope in Christ for you. We're going to end our meeting with a prayer tonight. And I'll invite you to stand with us as we pray. Yes, we will come back and answer who the Antichrist is, not tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, there's no meeting. And Friday night, well, Friday night will help to maybe add some more details. We won't do it Friday night either. It's a later topic. But we will give you part two in the future. Friday, join us at 6.30. We will take time for questions. It's a Q&A night from 6.30 to 7 Friday night. And then at 7, our topic will be the two martyrs of Revelation. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the prophecies of your word and for the keys to unlock these prophecies. We thank you for Jesus. We choose tonight to worship Jesus Christ. Help each of us here to be faithful to our Master Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.